Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back. It's another... I remember what? the thing at the beginning, and then I... I, I don't remember anything, David. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Anyhow, uh, welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. Matthew, as you can hear, is already connected on the Zoom with me, and we are here ready, willing, and able to discuss Season 8, Episode 22, called This Is Only a Test. And it had an original air date of April 18th of 1987. This is after three weeks of reruns. This is the first new one in a month for people watching this in real time in the 80s. How did we get through? And how did we end up with this? (laughs) This this was the big comeback. I mean... Two weeks ago, our, our Dick Van Patten extravaganza came up with the uh, the Matthew review of, Ugh. <laughs> is that what we're getting? Are we getting another that or an oof this week? I think this is more just a, eh. I mean, there's it, it's like one of the most pointless episodes, really, that I've, that they, I just, what nothing happens in this. Yeah, it's it is a little bit of a of a filler, a little bit of a packing peanuts mm. kind of an episode. It is nice that we get more Blair and Joe. I'm always on board for more Blair and Joe reaffirming, deepening their friendship. Uh, but that's really kind of all we're we get here. Um, let me do the nuts and bolts first, and then we'll get to the synopsis, and we will start carving this baby up. It was written by Ross Brown and Martha Williamson. We've heard from both of them before. Ross Brown is a producer of 24 episodes during this season. This is number four of the seven he will have written. Uh, Previously, he wrote The Ratings Game, The Wedding Day, and Right and Wrong. And I don't think we really liked any of those. Just going to say it. But Ross Brown will be the author of next season's episode, The First Time, the one where Natalie loses her virginity. So that's exciting. And then Martha Williamson, she has been a story editor for 46 episodes, program consultant for five. As a writer, this is number five of eight episodes. Previously, she wrote Concentration, which I think was one of my favorites. I think we we really liked that one a lot. Another Room, which is one of our least favorites. And both of the Cinnamon episodes, Off-Broadway Baby and A Star is Torn. The episode was not directed by John Boab, Matthew. Oh, my God. Isn't that shocking? It's so weird. This is directed by Valentine Mayer. He's directed before. He uh, will have directed six before the end of the season. This is the third of those six. Previously, he did The Candidate and The Little Chill. And he will be around for three more next season also. Is it Valentine or Valentine? Is there an E on the end? There's an E on the end. 
Mm. And it's male. He, everyone called him Val, according mm. to that. So I don't know. Un unless it's Valentine, like it's Italian, Valentine. But it would be Valentino if it was Italian. It would be an O at the mm. end. That's weird. And oh, by the way, something I noticed, it makes me think of, remember we were giving shit to Joe for saying flyman instead of flyman? Her yeah. weird pronunciation. Somehow, I don't know where I got it in my head. I have consistently referred to that episode as the candidate. And I think it's supposed to be candidate, isn't it? Shouldn't it have a long A? Am I, am I right or am I overthinking by, you know, when you say a word over and over and it sounds weird? I think that's one of those that can be pronounced both ways. Mm -hmm. um, I say candidate, but... I, I've heard it, you know, he was a candidate for that. I guess so. It's just, I, I hear myself say it and it's, it sounds weird, but I'm like, why don't I just say candidate? But anyhow, it's like the word, for me, it's the word oil, O-I-L, oil. Yeah. And it's that, it's that diphthong that throws me. It's like oil. If I say it too many times, it sounds weird. Do you have a word like that? Oh, there's lots of words like that shampoo is one of them <laughs> really <laughs> you think you say shampoo funny no i think it's one of those words that if you say it over and over again it becomes like what the fuck words are coming out of my mouth shampoo i have to get some shampoo shampoo <laughs> some oh I, I need shampoo i don't know i think you're stuck on the word poo maybe could that be it I don't think so, but it's <laughs> a word. Well, any hoozle. Are we ready for the synopsis? Oh my God, yes, I'm sitting down. Yes. Blair has decided she is applying to Langley Law School. She assumes she will be able to buy her way in, but after meeting with an admissions officer, it is abundantly clear that she will need to achieve a passing score on the LSAT law college entrance exam to even be considered. Trouble is, she has not studied and now has to cram all the studying for the exam in one night. Our B story is Natalie has found a health spa only a couple hours away, so she and Tootie and Beverly Ann and Andy are all planning to go away. Joe was supposed to join them, but Joe decides to be a good friend to Blair and skips the trip, which he didn't really want to go on anyway, to help Blair study for her test. Oh, and Andy is eating too much. The end. Just, uh, what the fuck was that? I don't know. What I, in the fuck was that? I don't know what a lot of this was. I, yeah. So yeah, general impressions Blair looked great in her gorgeous lavender dress. Mm hmm. That's about it. This yeah. has been fun. All right. No, 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 no. Okay. But other than what we've already said, the fact that not a lot happens as far as this episode could have not existed. And later, when Blair gets the letter telling her what her score is in the next, it's either, I think it's two weeks from now. It's kind of like, did we even have to go through this? Did we? But you could say that about a lot of episodes in, in, in season eight. So I guess I don't know. I don't understand college, I guess. 
Well, neither do the writers, but continue. Oh, what are your questions? I, I'll try just, to help. I just don't know, like, what she been doing. If, I mean, I don't understand how law school is different than college, I guess, or what graduate school is. I don't, un I don't understand what the, what the process is, I guess. Well, you've heard the term undergraduate. Yes, but I don't know what that means. An undergraduate degree is basically your associates or your bachelors. And for it, to put it in simplest of terms, an associate's degree is a two-year degree. A bachelor's degree is a four-year degree. After you have your bachelor's, they, and, and that is a progressive thing, you, get your, you can get your associates and then continue on school to get your bachelor's. A lot of people, when they say they're going to college, it is a foregone conclusion. They're going for four years and pursuing their bachelor's degree. So the bachelor's is really the most common. Uh, but then after that, you have to apply to go to graduate school, get your graduate degree. That would be your, your master's degree, as it were. You hear people say they have an MFA in you know, vocal performance. That's your master's in fine arts. That is another, I believe, two to three years of study. It depends on what your field is. Jesus but, Christ. Yeah, but that's the next thing. As we've said, go to school, get your bachelor's if you want to be an actor, if you want to go into theater and stuff. Absolutely. Having a degree is a really good thing to have. Don't go on for your master's. Just get some real world experience going for your master's. Yeah, it's, you know, it's furthering and deepening the study of it, but you also need real world experience. So I typically tell people don't go for your graduate degree and, and a law degree is a graduate degree um, to the point where you realize that a, a law degree, people refer to doctors and lawyers, uh, a, a law degree, when you get out of law school, it is a doctor of law or something. It's, it is a, a doctorate, which is the next thing beyond a master's degree. And people who go for their doctorate, it's like, I, that, that's where I turn into you and I'm like, shoot me in the face. Uh, I, I'll jump off a bridge or walk into the ocean. I, I could not imagine ever wanting to study and be stuck in academia that long. That's really for people who just want to literally continue and teach in, in academia, but yeah. So yeah, this is all making sense in that, yes, you have to take a separate entrance exam and apply separately to a law school. What doesn't make sense is there is a, a an undergraduate degree called pre-law that you can pursue that you take for four years to kind of lay the foundation before you go on to law law. You're, you're master's and your doctorate. So the, the thing with this, the, what, what's not clicking with Blair suddenly like, well, I decided uh, about three months ago that I was going to apply to law school. Well, I didn't tell you guys. It's, it's like, girl, have you not even taken a course, a single course in pre-law? Girl, that, you know, that's what's not clicking. It should have been, oh, well, we did notice you took a few of those law courses, so you, you really like it, huh? Yeah. But the fact that she's kept it a secret, that is preposterous. Well, um, I mean, they did make it seem like she was going to take this LSAT test and like, like 
it would be like me just deciding tomorrow I want to become a mechanic and taking a, a test on like she has no idea what su what subject matter is covered in this in this LSAT book that Joe gets for her. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I wish we knew somebody who was a lawyer. I, I can't think of anybody, but um, anybody yeah, that we'd want to talk to <laughs> or who would want to talk on this shit show what has no, nothing better to do but be on a friggin' sitcom podcast but the thing is the the logic questions when joe is going through the book with blair later when she's helping her study and she's going through the logic questions like this is this is a direct quote ed and fred johnson are twins all johnsons have more daughters than sons fred has more sons than ed but ed has more children if fred has four sons then what is the minimum number of daughters that ed must have i'm out yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a math and logic problem and joe does say blair to say i don't care who gives a fuck about this i'm paraphrasing but Joe says, no, Blair, you got to know this stuff. These logic problems are important to know for law school. I'm not so sure. This, this I would have to uh, pursue further. I'm not sure I buy that, Mrs. Ms. Ms. Williamson and Mr. Brown, the writers. I'm thinking that was just some filler stuff you put in there. I, well, I, I just I wrote down, is this accurate? Like 12 weeks of studying is what it takes. Like to, I, I was already out when that happened. Yeah. Like when they're talking about how you have to like you. Well, I'm sure you've put in the required 12 weeks of studying to take this test. Uh, no, she hasn't. Uh, is that what everybody? I don't know. And yet she can cram overnight and Blair Warner being such an extraordinary student. Yeah is able to get it all together. And yeah, it's like, I mean, you know, it's the LSAT's legal scholastic aptitude test. So it's like the SATs we took in high school, but, you know, <laughs> turned up to 11 because this is some grad school level shit. And so that's why it's like, girl, how, how do you expect us to believe this when you don't even have a pre-lawed course that you can even refer to, let alone the possibility of an actual pre-law major that they could have started and planted the seeds for at the beginning of the season or last season, they should have actually. We established that Joe is about to graduate and has no idea what she wants to do with her life either. So yeah, what is yep. that two episodes ago when she had the career book? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yep. No, I agree. This is where the writers are clearly in a fuck. It's the end of the season and it's the end of their season. Shit. We have to, we have to wrap this up. They got to graduate and we have to figure out what we're going to do next. And, uh, and whether the show is going to be picked up for another season that this even matters, which we will be discussing in two weeks when we're talking about, uh, the season finale. Um, so yeah, this whole thing. And, you couldn't have had Blair somehow, somewhere. You couldn't have inserted a line that says, I figure I will be in the courtroom by day and I'll still be able to do my art by night. Or something to still get into that. Blair was going to go into some type of a creative career. Law is like the literal fucking opposite of that. 
Well, she did say that every generation of Warner has been a lawyer. So mm-hmm. I guess she she said, I'm going to be the first woman that does it. So, well, what better reason to make a life choice? Yeah. Ugh. And she even says she never said anything because like she was afraid that they'd ha- make fun of her. And she was having to face that she wants to work for a living. And she does say, I'll be graduating soon and I'm a Warner and I have to do something to make my family proud. This sounds like a setup to an episode where her mother and father either or show up and are like, girl, don't fucking do this for the family. Do what you want to do. You think we worked and acquired all of our wealth so that you would not have choices available to you for fuck's sake? And Lisa Welchel, Texas accent alert, lawyer, lawyer, very Southern. Northern people from particularly a girl raised in Manhattan, she would say lawyer. That is how you say it in the Northeast, not lawyer. That was full on Lisa Welch, Texas. I felt like Joe was laying the accent on pretty thick a couple times later. This is her party. What? That's season two, Joe. Yes. You're right. No, I heard that too. It's like she's reading the the questions out loud. She's saying the party of the first part. Yeah. I felt like that was weird. Nancy McKeon, another Mm. little sinus infection, sounding a little nasal too. Maybe that's why the the accent was a little bit thicker because of the party and stuff like that. But she's had that before. Um, Oh, by the way, when they had the conversation of Blair, why didn't you tell us? And her saying, well, I didn't know. And I thought you'd make fun of me. And then her saying every generation of Warner has a lawyer in it. That is all a little bit that is cut from syndication. So if you watch the Daily Motion version, I'm sorry, you might be like, what the fuck are they talking about? That's not there if you don't have the DVDs. And uh, most of the other cuts are just little tiny nips and tucks here and there. There are no big chunky scenes uh, that have been extracted. So Uh, You should be in good shape otherwise. Have we discussed enough, at least the the, the ridiculous, where the the foundation of the episode is this premise that we're like, wait, what? Blair has never, ever talked about wanting to be a lawyer. Remember, Joe was considering being a lawyer when Tootie's mom was visiting, when Tootie graduated. Yeah. But, and, and I think that would have been kind of a cool pursuit for Joe because, you know, Joe was valedictorian and she's doing well here, giving a speech at their graduation next week. It's like Joe was kind of the one set up to be going into some type of a higher powered career. But um, yeah, anything else we want to uh, do before we bury and beat this dead horse of Blair wants to be a lawyer? <sighs> And at least they they do stick to landing. She does go to law school next season, and then she leaves to buy Eastland. But by the time we catch up with her in the reunion movie in 2001, she is a lawyer. She did get her degree, and she did pass the bar. So, I mean, at least, at least there's that. But I'm still like, for how often they have tried to push her in a creative direction and then abandoned it. I'm so frustrated by that. Mm. Want to talk about horny Andy? Well, 
he does make a reference to how he wants to go because he wants to go to this health spa because it says on it says on the advertisement or on the pamphlet it says massage by large Swedish women. I don't know that I put that's a selling point. <laughs> I, I when you say large Swedish women, I'm thinking blonde mustaches. I'm thinking, uh, uh, yeah, I'm thinking like you know stocky, athletic, you know, have bodies like Dolph Lundgren, large yes. Swedish women, like, you know, athletes. The, the Swedish shot putting team. Yeah. <laughs> but Andy is all like, oh, yeah, I am a horny 13-year-old. I want a large Swedish woman to be putting her hands on me. And then later he is looking in a dictionary or something, and he says, uh, I'm trying to learn how to say I'm older than I look in Swedish. Well, really? Horny 13-year-old? No. Another um, question I have about college and admissions. Um, does the dean of admissions come to your house for your interview? Oh, what a wonderful question, Matthew. I do not know for sure, but I feel very, very confident when I say, no, the dean doesn't fucking come to your house. Jesus. It wasn't even really an interview. It it, it was, I, what was the point of him coming over? She could have gone to the, the law school lobby and talked to someone behind a counter who could have told her all of the information here. Other than, you know, with Blair, you know, conveniently and cutely putting around newspapers everywhere about all of the big donations the Warners have made to Langley College, uh, it would have been easy to just say, have him come in and say, Miss Warner, and her say, yes, Dean Lusk, and him say, yeah, well, it is quite unusual to be invited to someone's home for an interview, but considering how generous your family has been, I'm happy to take the time out of my day. And then as it continues, have him be like, oh, yeah, your family has been generous, but you still need to do the things you need to do to get into law school, girl. So they could have justified that. But now that Dean doesn't come to your house and not interview you like he didn't. And I mean, just lazy writing. Would Blair really be that blatant about it? Would she really look at the dean of admissions and say, well, I can't wait to take this test before my dad writes a big fat check. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, Blair. All right. I yeah. just feel like there could have been some better writing around that whole situation. Cut from syndication. She says, is there something I can get you? Coffee, tea, a new library? Yeah. Okay. Uh, holy shit, girl. Yeah. It's it's pretty blatant, but it's good in that at least they understand each other clearly. There's one thing that's not, this is not one of those sitcom, well, he's talking about one thing and she's talking about another thing. How wacky. It's like, at least she's being so obvious about it where he is like, uh, yeah, you still have to have an LSAT score of 42. And she's of course like, oh, you only have to score a 42? That should yeah. be easy. He's like out of 48. So let's talk about the actor who plays the Dean, John O'Leary. He has 125 credits in an over 60 year career. 
and he has worked as recently as Baskets, the Zach Galifianakis show, Baskets. As recently as 2017, he did three episodes of that. Most of his IMDb is all one-offs. He doesn't really have a series or any defining role. Uh, And I believe he was on an episode of The Golden Girls, Matthew. He was. Um, He's that guy from that thing. Yes. And I'll translate. He was Mr. Ninervini in Blanche Delivers, where Blanche's daughter comes to visit in town while she's pregnant and has her baby right there in Miami. (laughs) I don't know who Mr. Ninervini is. I don't know this episode, but does that ring a bell? It it does, but I couldn't, I don't remember. Yeah. John O'Leary sadly departed us in June of 2019 at the age of 93, cut down in his prime, taken far too soon. (laughs) Always playing a priest, I feel like. Always like. Yeah, that sounds like something I could certainly see him doing that. Oh, and a weird thing that happens when he leaves right before we go to commercial break. Uh, Blair does a Lucy. Yeah. Wasn't that a direct thing where he leaves, she closes the door, leans her back against the door and goes. Yeah. We've never heard Blair make that noise before. Granted, she's technically never fucked up this big. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think she's done anything to require a. Mm-hmm. You know, other than shoplifting for Mrs. Garrett, other than <laughs> wrecking the car, other than, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I did have a huge problem with the fact that um, she, there's a scene where she's like holding up an outfit to herself when Joe comes in. And I was like, not for nothing, but that is Blair's closet. <laughs> Her closet like looks like it fits about like I have a bigger closet than that. Yeah, I'm not not Blair Warner, but all right. Yeah, you almost wonder if they converted the Tootie and Natalie section into a bedroom. Why did Blair not take it on as a closet long before any of this happened? Well, and again, it comes up with is there a way for them to get into Natalie and Tootie's bedroom? Because. Tootie knocks on the door when she comes in to interrupt Joe. I'm waving my hands wildly here because I'm glad you noticed that too. But then walks right into it to exit through the bedroom from her room later on in the season, in the episode. So I was like, okay, she's knocking on the door for her own bedroom. Yeah, it's no, that's fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous. We established way back when they did that stupid, ridiculous Another Room episode and expanded that attic into Tootie and Natalie's space that it was so stupid. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there is a way up to the attic. It's how they got up to it before, but that's never been fully discussed. It's always assumed that Tootie and Natalie have to go through Blair and Joe's bedroom to get to their bedroom. Doesn't make any goddamn sense. And also, Tootie loves to point out when she's going to help Blair, she goes, when both your parents are lawyers, some of the habeas corpus stuff rubs off on you. (laughs) We've seen your mother three times in the past seven years. Yeah. Tootie, I know you go spend summers and stuff with her, but okay. 
How yep. much is how much is rubbed off on you? <laughs> um, other stuff just of note. At the beginning, when it's like this great spa is there. Oh my God, we're all gonna go. Beverly Ann, Andy, Tootie. Now that's terrific. And you know, Blair and Joe go too. What's my next question, Matthew? Who's minding the store? Thank you. Oh, good. I got one right. Okay. Jesus Christ. Just like, oh, we're going to go. Oh, great. We can close up for a, a We can go away for a weekend. Yeah. Weekends aren't big shopping days for Spencer gift stores like ours. <laughs> what? <sighs> Anyhow. Um, and the Andy eating too much thing. There's a beginning of a, they attempt a running joke. They start off the episode with Andy with this. It, it's like a four foot long submarine sandwich. Yeah. And Beverly Ann's like, what? What is that? You're not, you're not planning to eat that whole thing. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm a growing boy. The next question should have been, where the fuck did you find bread that big? What, what did you do? This isn't Edna's Edibles. You couldn't have fucking made it. Where in the world? How did you get that through the front door? Where was that in the kitchen that I didn't notice it until you walked out here into the dining room with a fully made sandwich that clearly has to have about, you know, five to 10 pounds of meat on it. <laughs> what the shit is that? And so then she says, well, you're not eating anything else till you finish that. And he's like, yeah, okay, fine. Well, then later before they leave for the trip, which is like later in the week, Natalie says, I can't believe you're still eating uh, th those big subs. And Andy's like, yeah, it's actually the same one from Tuesday. <laughs> Natalie's like, good thing it's not tuna fish. And then Beverly Ann says, okay, Andy, yeah, you've been eating on that sandwich long enough. Wrap it up and you're taking it to the spa with us. And that's the end of that. We don't hear about that anymore. That happens before the commercial break and the Andy's a growing boy and teenage boys eat a lot. Humor is, oh, okay. Cloris just had her hair done. Yeah, with whew, that is a flat top. Mm. <laughs> that's a that's a frosty flat top. Mm. Yeah, definitely new frosting, new spiking. It's it is an interesting hairdo for her character. It fits Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman was fucking punk rock before punk rock was punk rock, you know. But it is weird that you think Beverly Ann would have a slightly more conservative matronly hairdo for how fussy and old-fashioned she is? I think that 80s style, that was very like Linda Dano had that oh hair, my God. hairstyle. I oh think, my God, I haven't thought of her. Oh my God, you're so right. It was that kind of like, I'm a, I'm a strong business woman kind of, I, I, it was, yeah, I think people were shedding that early 80s um, Joan Cusack and working girl kind of look and kind of getting that streamlined 80, mm. late late 80s. Brigitte Nielsen. And, yeah, uh, Grace, Grace Jones. Yeah. Linda Dana. <laughs> Linda Dana. But her fashion has also been evolving. We talked briefly with... Um, with Diana Eden about how when she first came into the show, Cloris Leachman wanted her to look like a camping frontier woman. 
and the network was a little, uh, but clearly there's been a, a, a slow evolution here where uh, one of the blouses she's wearing is so bright, it's it's borderline tropical. Like it almost looks like vacation wear. It is so bright, even for the 80s. Do you know which one I'm talking about? No. Hmm. Anyway, she's just wearing much brighter colors and uh, it's, it is not going unnoticed. Uh, and it is still only April, by the way, in Peekskill. It's a little early to be wearing... That's some like heavy duty summer picnic wear. Like that is up north. That is like su- uh, armor wear. Like that's, you don't pull that shit out till June or July. I'm just going to say it there. All right. Was she wearing white shoes before Memorial Day? My right, God. Right below the waist. No. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. That took me about 15 years to get used to doing that. <laughs> now that I'm a native Floridian after all these years. Um. We do kind of have the somewhat fabricated Blair and Joe butting heads and always fighting. And, you know, Tootie says, Joe, can I talk to you? And she's like, well, I'm busy. She's like, Blair is in trouble. Oh, I'm never busy for that. Like, oh, I love hearing bad things about Blair. (laughs) And And I was thinking about that. Like, if you watch, if you started watching this show this season, you would wonder to yourself why these four women even live together when they clearly have tried to create this character thing where Joe hates Blair. And and like she says, I don't get mad. I get even for exactly. what? What does she get even for? What's yeah. she getting even for? Like Blair didn't do anything to you. Mm-hmm. I, they, they work so hard to make this like, oh, there's this relationship and if you started watching this show without the background you'd just be like why move out if this person (laughs) hates you so much why do you live there or yeah or Blair buy a fucking house like you should have at the beginning of season five yeah president of the millionaires club thank you yeah (laughs) so um there is the awful scene and I thought of you the entire time the awful scene where Mm. Joe, who had bought Blair an LSAT study book and Blair rejected it because she's like, I don't have to study. I'm buying my way in, bitch. So now knowing that Blair is in over her head and really worried, Joe decides to basically torment her. So Joe is like, well, I'm going to go and bring the book back. And Blair's like, no, uh, leave it. I need it for a, a, a friend. Yeah, that's the ticket. What friend? What's her name? Uh, Trudy? The longest um I've ever heard recorded on television. Uh, really? Was... Really? But this is the, well, I can't tell you, Joe, that I've gotten myself in this fix because you're just going to taunt me and be mean because, again, we have this friendship that clearly has not evolved since <laughs> the fall of 1980 and it's uh, it's it's pretty awful and then after joe finally blair does come clean and joe gives her the book then blair is like ah, okay i guess i'll just stay here and study and 
look up the answers myself, starts laying a guilt trip on her. Like, well, now I'm just going to get to study all by myself. It's like, she literally just poked at you like a bear in a cage and tormented you. And you made up a terrible lie because you did not want her judgment. And yet now you, you are guilt tripping her for not staying behind and helping you start. I, I guess if there was ever proof that this is a fucking marriage in every sense of the word, I, I don't know what isn't for, you know, two people who love each other, but torture each other, but admire one another, but hate each other. That's, I think that's the definition of marriage from what I've gathered. Well, that's the only marriage I've ever seen. So, <laughs> ah, anyway, that scene was very, very painful. Yeah. And then, um, Here's an interesting line. This is where you see the writers are writing for Beverly Ann and writing for Chloris. And this, yeah, she was flaky all the time, but there is also that fuss budget equality that is kind of a carryover from Phyllis Lindstrom. Before they leave on the weekend, she gives Blair a book of quotes. She says to Blair, since I won't be available to lend my personal support, here is a book of quotes to inspire you. Now, not just the her giving her the book, a line like, since I won't be available to lend my personal support. That's a, that's a weirdly fussy line to say to someone that you live with. You, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, but I just didn't find it as weird as her giving a quote and going, page 23. Yeah. Do, do you have a favorite book, David? Do you know what page number things no. are on in a fucking book? No. Shut up, not. Beverly Ann. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the book and get to your fucking health club. Go get rubbed down by some large Swedish women, for Christ's sake. And a cleansing mud bath. Mm. But, uh, but just what I'm saying is, conversationally, how would you write the line for any natural, nondescript, character you would have the person say i'm sorry you're gonna miss the weekend at the spa but here i bought you this you know yeah. what i mean saying things like i won't be available to lend my personal support that's a very fussy chloris leachman phyllis lindstrom line and i think that's part of the reason why beverly Ann is a little bit annoying because there's always that that fussiness about her and uh uh, I don't know. That was just a, for some reason of all the episodes we've seen, and I'm sure there've been many other examples that I've missed, but this is one that just jumped out at me like, wow. Anyway. So then the rest of the episode is really just Joe drilling Blair. <laughs> giggity. And then uh, Blair getting tired and Joe saying, okay, you want to go to sleep? Bye. And then Blair comes to Joe and's like, well, you're not going to inspire me. You're not going to force me to get up and get back to it. You're not going to give me a pep speech. There's a lot of stuff you could say like, and then Blair says all the pep speech stuff. And also in a moment of vulnerability, she does say that when the dean told her that her money didn't matter, she suddenly wanted to get into law school more than ever. And she's scared because it's the first time her daddy can't buy her way into something. And she doesn't know if she can do it on her own. Again, 
it, marriage. There's the intimacy after the, and I fucking hate you and was just torturing you 10 minutes ago. And then the next morning we have another uh, picking at each other thing where Blair comes home. Now Blair and Joe are alone in the house. All the others are gone. So Blair comes home from the exam. Joe is still asleep in the chair. So Blair lays down on the couch and pretends like she slept through the exam to make Joe have a shit conniption. And then when Joe realizes what's going on, Blair says, I was just fucking with you. Ha ha. And then Blair is like, nope, I made the test. And if I didn't do well enough, I've decided I'm just going to take it again next year. That's all good and dandy. I'm still committed to this, even if I didn't get it done today. And then she curls up on the couch and Joe is like, and thank you, Joe, for helping me and staying up and giving up your weekend. And Blair's like, thanks. Joe's last line is, well, now don't go getting all mushy on me. And then affectionately takes the blanket that she had on her and puts it over Blair on the couch as Blair dozes off to sleep. And we have 45 minutes of them sitting there before the applause starts. Oh my, it was just like the ending of that, um, of the episode Younger Than Springtime with the dad, with Joe's dad at the end where he- Last week, yeah. Like where they didn't know when to start applauding and whoever was supposed to hit that button was late on it because it just left the actors there going, awkward turtle. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, this looked like one of their old school Thornton Wilder endings. Where... Like, and the music choice for the ending was just so like, like it, it was sweet. And I don't know. It, anyway, again, yeah. mwah, mwah. if you look on the last week's show, I uh, I did do a re-edit. Did I send you that? I did a a thing where I put a different soundtrack at the end of the Alex Rocco episode. Yes. With the applause coming at a more appropriate time. And it does make much more sense. You, yeah. you, you called it there that they, they fucked up in post. Well, that's all I have. Those are all my notes. What other thoughts do you have about this other than. I, I, well, I just have, I would have, I would have. If I were writing, if somebody came to me and said, we need an episode where Blair has to take the test, I would have done it much like um, Tootie's driving test, where everybody in the house pitches in overnight. Like, you know, like, oh, from one to three, I've got Natalie. And from three to four, I've got Beverly Ann, you know, and everybody trying their best to help Blair through the night. And I would have set it up more like that and what was the episode take my finals please yes that kind of episode rather than we're going at a health spa peace out you know i i <laughs> like why didn't you utilize the other girls to help her get through this i, I don't know yeah as in the scene with the dean could have been literally blair walking in the door going huh what I just came from the admissions office and they are telling me, even though my family is well-respected, yada, yada, I have to do this test. So that whole Dean scene could have been gone. That should have been the very opening scene. I have until tomorrow to study this book. (laughs) And there's your episode. Yeah, I agree. And then all hands on deck. That would have been a great show. 
and Andy eating the whole time. There you go. So. You could have had the sub be the thing that shows you time has passed. <laughs> have it get shorter and shorter each time so you don't have to put, you know, 2 a.m., 4 a.m. There, we just fixed this episode. Those are the notes going back in the time machine. That's what I would have done. I wouldn't have kicked out the two girls and I wouldn't have kicked out half the cast for the week. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that way, Beverly Ann would have been available to lend her personal support. Yes. <laughs> Page 23. <laughs> yeah. If you watch the uh, syndicated version, they do cut the quote. She says, Page 23, a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. And then later, Joe quotes it back to Blair. They trim both of those out. But that's the quote that Beverly Ann loves so much. Mm. And uh, yeah. All right. So ready to wrap this fucker up? Uh. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be watching season eight, episode 23, Rites of Passage, part one. Mm. This is the first half of the two-part season finale in which Blair and Joe graduate from college. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And lastly, before we go, we do need to do a little bit of a we fucked up moment. Oh, no, I never admit to those. Two weeks ago, we made a comment about 2D sitting at the breakfast table with Fiber One cereal. And we even said, how in the world did they get that? And did they get those rights? Uh, I I wish I hadn't deleted my notes because I wrote down in my notes that the typical sitcom fixing of the thing, because I did notice it, but I was just like, I don't know if that's how, what Fiber One's thing was. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, I didn't, I mean, well, you good. I'm glad you caught it. I didn't. And I even went on to say, in my mind, I'm thinking it would have had a black bar yeah, like, like duct tape across it, or it would have been, you know, uh, Sweetios or some yeah. completely fucking crazy fictional name. But we have listener Richard the Big Bunny to thank for pointing this out to me on uh, someone actually uh, a user called Treasures Chamber, Treasure underscore Chamber. And they posted a picture of 2D with the box. They didn't have fiber one it was fiber on mm. with two white pieces of tape covering the e and uh, the title says be like tootie and get your day on with fiber on and uh that was shared with me on instagram by uh richard the big bunny is the user he goes by thank you richard for bringing that to my attention and uh i cannot believe i missed that and even went on to say, Tootie is fiber one, and they didn't even doctor it or disguise it. Yes, they did. They totally did. You have to look and watch, David. Get your nose out of your fucking notes. <sighs> anyway, that is all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, the facts of law school are all about you. And Blair and studying. And yeah. Joe and... How many daughters this one guy have? <laughs> Later, sweetie. Bye. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. 
Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. 